It's episode 52 of the Improv London podcast. I'm your host, Stuart Moses, and this week's guest is Duncan Walsh-Atkins. Hello, uh, how are you? I'm very well. Good, good, good. You are also musical director of Showstopper. That's right. Um, I can't imagine there's anyone listening to this uh, who hasn't heard of Showstopper, but for anyone that hasn't, or uh, for anyone that you might meet socially, how do you describe the show? Uh, Showstopper is a fully staged musical with uh, everything a musical has. It has songs and dances and a story and big characters um, that happens to to be fully improvised, fully made up on the spot, based on audience suggestions. And you're the musical director? Yes. So what's your role within that? Uh, I play piano for most of the shows. I uh, run the musical side of our practice sessions. Um, I organise the musicians. We have up to three musicians on stage for any show, so we have quite a large large team of musicians to draw on. Um, so I'm responsible for coordinating that. And, uh, yeah, every musical aspects of the show really just thinking about the musicians so all the musicians are improvising at the same time yes wow does that not make it a lot harder rather than just having one person accompanying the show there's already a lot going on with people improvising on stage it uh, yes yes it, it does make it more challenging um I mean, generally in all improv the more people you have involved the hard the harder it gets and uh the more Im- imperative it is that you all listen to each other um <laughs> I mean, the basic showstopper principle is one person has an idea, makes an offer, and everybody else follows on and builds on that offer. So the same applies to the musicians as well as as well as the cast. So it's not that we're all playing together, playing over each other, all following different ideas. Uh, we're all, in theory, listening to each other and listening to the cast, and all carefully building on each other's on each other's suggestions. Right. Um, so uh, yes, when it works, it works. It works well. <laughs> that implies that sometimes it doesn't work. It can be messy, things can go wrong, um, but uh, generally, as long as you're always listening to each other, uh, you can always pull it. You can always pull it back. <laughs> and so, do you ever rehearse just the musicians, or is it always musicians and cast? I'd say we always rehearse with cast because the part of the discipline of the musicians is uh, that they listen to the cast and they watch the cast as well. So they follow, they, they pick up on the cast's musical offers, but also follow their, their body language and their conducting so it's very much everybody is connected with everybody in theory um, so where in a conventional musical generally the musical director is the link between the cast and the band and the band generally just follow the conductor and, and ignore the, the cast in Showstopper uh, the band sh- should be very much connected to the cast as well and uh, so for example when the cast are conducting so the, the cast sort of conduct songs very much yeah, with their body language with their movement um, and the and all the musicians are watching them in theory and following them and taking their cues as well wow so um, you take an audience suggestion yes what, what what form of suggestion do you take and has it always been that yes pretty much from the start the the idea is we get the audience to suggest the setting for the musical um, so which may be a location, uh, it might be a country, it might be an era. Um, yes, uh, we often get historical settings, ancient Greece, ancient Rome, 
medieval England. We might get something very modern, very specific, like Tesco's or Costa Coffee. Um, we might get something utterly weird, like uh, the inside of a snow globe or inside a pickle jar. Um, uh, it might be incredibly vague and general, like America or the future. Um, but yes, that, that, that's always the starting point, is, is, is where, where, where is the musical set? So it, it gives us something to... To work, to work with a starting point, somewhat something where we can start and develop a, hopefully, an exciting story. Yes. So, out of you know all of those different suggestions that you might get, what are the ones that make you go, yes, this is going to be great? I'd say anything, anything that's inspiring or evocative. Uh, and to be honest, now we've done so many shows, often it's something new. Right. So there may um, there are many settings which are which are exciting and evocative, but we've done them many times. So <laughs> we've I mean Wild West or Ancient Rome, things like that are quite exciting and inspiring, and yeah. they uh, they suggest a lot. But we have done them many times. Yes. Uh, so uh, we often get the most excited when it's something that's equally inspiring, but we've never done before. Right. Um, so what well, what I mentioned just now actually was um, uh, the, the inside of a snow globe, which came up at the, the at last year's Edinburgh Fringe, and that was one of the most exciting shows we've done in a while, just because it's just so new and so 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 unusual, but at the same time quite quite inspiring. Yeah. Um, yeah. How would you translate the inside of a snow globe into a musical cue? Are you are you leading with the music, or just? I'll have ideas. Yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll make offers like any other improviser. Um, so, uh, yes, with something like that, I love settings like that because things like things like the weather, or seasons, or you know, different continents, different countries, different eras, obviously have musical suggestions in, inherent with them. Right. I mean, something like a, a snow globe. I mean, uh, yeah, there's been so much music over the years associated with weather and the elements. It's, it's, it's something you can take inspiration from. Um, so, uh, yes, I would sort of visualise snow and start playing music that I think suggests, suggests snow. <laughs> and then just see what the cast, what the singers do with it and let it just adapt and evolve as people join in with more, more offers. Yeah, 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 yeah. How do you get to know, um, I, suppose, I suppose I'm interested in, you've obviously got a kind of a musical vocabulary, you know, lots of different styles. I know, is that just something that's naturally developed or is that something you've worked on? Um, do you mean me personally or yeah. Showstopper yeah, as, uh, as a whole? Um, I mean, I, I was a musical director on scripted musicals for 10 years before I ever discovered improv so I, I have played in lots of different different styles I'm used to matching music to lots of different kinds of drama I've done a lot of comedy as well so uh, um, but yes I've played for jazz bands folk bands rock bands pop tribute shows uh, uh, yeah and, and lots and lots of musicals so yes it's just been accumulated gradually by by experience i mean there is yes the, there is no other way really than to just obviously you can listen to lots of stuff but really there's, there's, there's no real substitute for just doing it for just playing playing lots of music in different contexts and that's probably the best training for being an improvising musician yeah yeah i wonder if there's a way in which that translates if you're just an improviser that isn't playing music is doing acting roles yeah be in lots of different kinds of shows uh 
yeah, be in comedy shows, be in tragedies, maybe be in some physical shows. Um, a lot of it's a shame a lot a lot of improvisers I've noticed are sometimes held back by a lack of physicality. So I, um, yeah, they can be brilliant with words, but they don't move very much. They, 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 you don't often see a lot of great movement in improv shows, and uh, so I often wish improvisers would. Uh, yeah, maybe just go go on a clowning course or uh, do, do, yeah, do some dance classes or just learn to explore your physicality because physicality and movement can add so much to, to improv and particularly if you're obviously involving music as well. Yeah, music, music and movement feed off each other so much and a lot of what I play is inspired by the movement of the improvisers I see. Wow. Um, so the more you can do as an improviser, the, the better your improv will, will be, whether it's musical, physical, scripted scripted or otherwise I've never done um, clowning um, it slightly frightens me um, but I would like to dance I'd love to be able to dance I just think that would be a really useful thing I just feel if I'd learned to dance my whole life would have been different I think it certainly it, it certainly like I said it improves improv so much when people can even if not necessarily dance very well but at least move more confidently, move with purpose, move in time, you know, choreograph their movement, and it, it can make what they're doing look a lot more dramatic, a lot more a lot more real, and you can speak, you can communicate so much with, with, with movement, uh, and you can, you can rely less on words and, and communicate, a, communicate a lot more if you move confidently or, or expressively. Um, yeah, yeah, like I said, it, it, may, it, it can make such a difference. Yes, yes. Um, I um, recently did your uh, with uh, Andy Pugsley the Showstoppers Improvers uh, course, which uh, was the most challenging and the most rewarding course that I think I've done in oh, the world you. of improv. Um, and yeah, one of the things you talked about there uh, when you're singing is fewer words. <laughs> Let's just have you know we don't need. I think improvisers fall into the habit of thinking right. I can say about a million words and then maybe I'll find the right words. Whereas if they're improvising and they're just saying fewer words or if they're singing, they're saying fewer words. It makes it easier for them and for other people. I think, that, well, there's two, two, two points there. There's, um, if, um, I mean, in our world anyway, in Showstopper, we're trying to create songs that sound like songs, that sound like real songs. Um, so really, in terms of using fewer words, we're only really just following basic principles of songwriting. I mean, there are, there are some schools of songwriting that rely on, uh, yeah, that are very wordy, that rely on using lots of words. Uh, you know, Gilbert and Sullivan, for example. Uh, that, 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 <laughs> yes, that, I want to come back to that in a minute. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but actually, a lot of songwriting is fundamentally simple, and, uh, and songwriters use short simple phrases uh, and they use repetition a lot um, uh, and uh, yeah so we generally encourage that when improvising songs um, because that actually makes um, that actually makes your song sound more real more, more like an actual song and less like an, less like an improvised song and the, um, and the other point is um, uh, again going back to how do you communicate other than with with words, if, if you're using too many words, it can be difficult to communicate emotion. Um, 
whereas using fewer words in a song enables you to just invest in them more emotionally and just perform more to to to, to musicalize more you can you very often if you use too many words then often you can lose a sense of melody or lose a sense of rhythm whereas a few words but with really strong rhythm and really strong emotional commitment uh can be a lot more powerful yes um so uh, so yeah i I would say that's that, that that's Certainly, very crucial to our method is, is, is yeah, fewer, fewer words. Fewer words, definitely. So I'm interested in the process. Uh, so you've been uh, running various uh, workshops and things like that. How do you decide? You know, you've been doing show. How long the showstopper has been going for now? I feel, uh, I should have research, I feel I should have researched this. This is something I should look up and I can drop <coughs> in in a minute. <laughs> About nine years. About nine years. Uh, it started as a series of workshops in, yes, in 2008, run by Dylan and Adam, our directors. Um, and it's, yes, just grown from, from there. Went on to do a few shows in pub theatres and a short run at the Edinburgh Fringe that, that year. And yeah, it's just grown from, from there. So we've got uh, many years' experience in... Um, creating improvised musicals how did you and Andy decide what you were going to teach um, for the course that I did recently what how, how did you identify you know we've got eight weeks and then a showcase where, where do you start uh, at the risk of stating the obvious with 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 the basics I mean I, that's that's not a difficult choice because actually most of what we teach in our workshops is just what we work on ourselves all the time anyway I mean a lot of a lot of what we do comes back to the same basic principles. Um, you know, how do you create a song? How do you create a scene? How do you create a story? How do you generate a character? Um, so most of what we teach in workshops is just what we work on ourselves anyway. Um, so all the yeah, you know, all the, the song work we did in that course, um, the opening numbers, we, we focused a lot on opening numbers. I'd say getting on for half our rehearsal time, practice time, if you like. Rehearsals are... It's a confusing word to use in the improvising context. Right, it, yes. About half of our practice time is probably devoted to opening numbers right. uh, and the first couple of scenes of a show. Yeah. So, um, because so much depends on on that. So, it, like I said, like we said before, we, we get the setting of a show from the audience. So, um, whether you create a satisfying musical from that setting. So much depends on the opening number and the first two scenes. If you get them right, then you're probably okay. Yeah. Um, so uh, yes, I'd say probably about half of our of our work in our in our training sessions is, is focused on that. So that's naturally what we focus on in um, uh, in our workshops as uh, as well. Just yeah, the, the basics of how how do you create a song, particularly how do you create a song in a group. Mm. Um, so we focus a lot, as you remember, in in our workshops on group work on how, how do you create a song together whether it's five of you six of you two of you um uh it's a different challenge obviously creating a song together um than creating one on your own which I, i'm not going to say it's easy but yeah. uh um has certain advantages over over working in a, in, in, in a group so uh yes yeah, so that's that's what we do in our workshops generally just variations of of what we do in, a, in our own training sessions Yes, and it's. I think it's when, and this comes back to a sort of a central idea I have about improv, is that it's when you're working with other people 
and the things that you can create uh, together are much greater than the sum of its parts. Yeah. And it's much harder, but when you can do it, it looks so much more magical. I think people are impressed if you could get up and improvise a song. People go, wow, that was amazing, I couldn't do that. But if you can get up there and just suddenly produce a song that everyone sings, um, have movement that everyone does, that's when it's... I, I think that is, yes, and that's what we've, like I said, done the most work on over the years. Is It, it, it is, as you say, one thing to uh, to create a song on your own, um, but to for a group of people to create a song spontaneously that sounds like a real song when they're all actually singing the same chorus and they're all doing the same movement, uh, there is, like, like you say, something very magical about it. And, uh, and that's probably the hardest thing to do so that's what we concentrate on the most in our own training sessions and again what we focus on prob probably the most in in, in our workshops uh, but it's uh, it's like you say it's well it's wonderful when it happens yes 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 definitely um, so are there more more courses on the way yes we're just about to announce some some more courses our improvers course that you mentioned before that you did and uh, the beginners course for people who Never done improv before, but would like to, to give it a try. Um, I think that would be I think that would be brave um, to go straight into. Do people think I'm not going to bother with the, the spoken? I'm just going to go straight into musical improv. I mean, that's well. Obviously, we do. Obviously, speech and scene work is part of what we do as well. But uh, in some ways, a lot of people imagine the singing side of it must be harder. I, in some ways, it's easier. Yeah. Um, and it's, um, it's certainly it's very interesting when we've been teaching improv. It, it, we generally find it's the scene work that people struggle with more than the, the song work, even though the song work may intimidate them more at first. Right. Um, but, uh, but certainly you notice the most immediate improvement uh, with the song work. And it is often the scene work that takes slightly longer. You, you see a slower, instead, but slower steadier improvement but uh, uh, the real wow factor of oh my god I never knew I could do this generally comes at first with the, with the songs mm. and then the scene work can take a bit longer to to, to, to really master uh, I mean obviously depending on people's experience b beforehand um, I mean partly, partly it is because we focus so much on the group work uh, in some ways the, a group song is less exposing than a, than a scene uh, yes. because in a song yeah, with, with our approach to a group song, you sort of build it step by step, you sing it line by line, uh, you sort of very much inve invest in other people, you know, rely on other people's offers, um, repeat what other people have sung. In some ways, it's more collaborative and less, ex less exposing, I, uh, I think. Obviously, when you come to do solo songs, uh, I mean, that's, there's a whole, level of, uh, <laughs> a, a whole other level of scary there, but, um, but we tend to... Yeah, we tend to focus very much on group numbers at first, particularly with with beginners, with yeah. people who haven't done it done it before. Yes, um, I think that um, if pe if you tell people uh, that you do improv, they oh yeah okay, but then if you tell them oh I do musical improv, it's like suddenly you get a round of applause. Mm. Uh, suddenly it's um, and I don't want to demystify it for these people, but having done some of your classes, you know that. You, you, as you say, you build it up slowly, and yeah. there are techniques, and it is—it's listening, and it's paying attention, and it's yes, it's <clears throat> yes, and, and just confidence. A lot of people 
mean, a lot of people have great ideas. Most people who do our workshops have really great ideas. They have a sort of great innate musicality, and they uh, um, they have a wonderful songwriter inside trying trying to get out. And often the the thing that holds people back is just often lack, lack of confidence in their own singing, lack of confidence in their own ideas. But uh, um, the key is obviously just just to believe in your own ideas. So it's very common at first for people to. To, to, to come up with an idea in an improvised song and then back away from it and apologise for it and sort of slightly, slightly dissociate themselves from it and uh, at which point we say generally do that again yeah, do that yeah, again yeah. with confidence without the apology because it was a great idea and most most people's ideas for songs are are great and uh, and they just require a little extra confidence and a little extra extra investment but uh, but nearly always um, Nearly always, people have these these, these great ideas in them, and um, uh, yeah, it's just the, it's it is just the confidence that's, that's lacking, and it's confidence and commitment. Commitments more, a good more word, than yes. yeah. you know more than musical talent. That's more than yeah, and certainly more than sort of wit or cleverness or <clears throat> ability with words. I mean, those things are great if you if, if you have them, but uh, that's not really the. That's not the key to it, and that's not essential for uh, for creating great songs. I mean, I, uh, as I said before, I mean, many great songs are fundamentally simple, and songwriting often uh, embraces simplicity. So, uh, some very often the simpler, uh, simpler the idea, the better. Is just is just a commitment to it that that's, that's sometimes lacking. But that's what hopefully we can uh, we can we can help with in our in in our workshops. Yeah, and, and one of the things I love about musical improv in particular is the way it accesses emotion. It's, it's hard to sing. I think it's hard to sing. Well, first of all, you're making yourself vulnerable by singing. Yes. Um, and I think it's easier to express emotion through song than it is through speech. Yes, I mean, what we like to say is, um, when we're explaining why you should sing in a musical, improvised or otherwise, is that you get to a point, hopefully where words are not enough anymore and you have to sing as the only way you can express the emotion that, that you're feeling. So it very much relies on obviously the, the, the dialogue and the, the scene work to be equally emotional. And uh, I mean, all drama requires emotion and em emotionless <laughs> emotionless scenes are often just not, not very fun, whether scripted or improvised. Uh, uh, generally, if you're trying to create drama or, or comedy, uh, there has to be some strong emotion somewhere. Um, and uh, yeah, singing probably requires just a little extra degree of emotion just yeah. as a, uh, like I said to, to push you past that point where words are not enough anymore yeah um, but yes uh, you really can't create anything that sounds like a real song without without a degree of emotional commitment even if it's meant to be a funny song yeah uh, and most of many of our songs and shows are funny and very deliberately funny but there's still an emotional truth behind them as, as well yes I I get quite angry when people are told what I've done as children that they can't sing and I think that's such a you know I don't know you may not be able to sing well but I think everyone can sing and should sing in whatever form yes I've, I've, no, yeah, I've never understood that either um, because uh, the, the best improvisers in the world are children uh, <laughs> and in some ways learning to improvise singing is just rediscovering that that, that 
complete freedom we had to sing and to make up songs when we were well, yeah when we were younger my children make up songs all, all the yeah. time with no inhibitions at all and then gradually as we get older often somebody tells us we can't sing we decide we can't sing we become inhibited socially from spontaneously uttering things so we only sing in sort of carefully controlled contexts uh, and uh, yeah like I said a lot, a lot of imp- improvised singing is simply just rediscovering that that freedom and that and that joy that uh, that the, the, the children the children have uh, but uh, yeah certainly I mean really no one should be held back from improvised singing by worrying <laughs> about whether they can sing or not because actually the, the quality of your singing is, is is up to a point irrelevant I mean it's, it's about this particularly when you're doing group numbers you're it's about creating a song it's about collaborating to create a song and uh, uh, and you create a song that works for your particular voice and your particular voice type, and uh, so actual singing ability is not really relevant. Yes, um, in our showcase, um, I'll mention Roland's name. Um, oh yes, yes. Who I hope you don't mind me saying is not necessarily the strongest musically. But he played this dashing doctor uh, that all the nurses uh, were fall, falling in love with and, and were failing to do the operation because they were all in love with him. And I just thought that was one of my favourite things that I've seen yes, on stage for a long time. Uh, yeah, it was really interesting because uh, I mean, he, his emotional commitment to the song was incredible and uh, and it pushed his voice into places you could tell he'd never sung before. Yeah. Certainly I'd never heard him in all the eight weeks we'd been teaching him, never heard him sing in that way and use that part of his voice, but uh, it just suited the emotion of the moment. He yeah. sort of accessed the sort of the high sort of you know Frankie Varley part of his voice and, uh, and, it, and it sounded amazing and yes. you could tell it was something he'd never done before but yes. uh, he just let the emotion of the, the drama push push him that way and um, yeah it's, it's, it's wonderful to see that that degree of commitment uh, I did a I did a really fun show you must have interviewed Steve Rowe yes. uh, for, 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 for the, these podcasts <laughs> I, I did a show with him uh, an improvised opera with uh, himself and uh, and an actual opera singer, uh, and uh, you know, Steve, Steve is not a natural opera singer, but uh, his, his, but his commitment to yes. being an opera singer for that one hour was 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 total and and incredible, and uh, um, and it was beautiful to watch. It was yeah, it was, it was so much. It was so much fun, and it just would not have been entertaining at all without that complete commitment and that sort of complete complete self-belief for, for however long it was that he, <laughs> that, he, that, he was, that he was an opera singer and that, yeah. that he was going to he was going to sing in that way can you remember how the idea for that show came about I don't know you'd have to ask yeah, I just got asked to play for it oh, right, so a short notice nice. but I, I loved I, just, I loved every minute of it <laughs> no it is nice um, I love the way in which improv gives me permission to sing and to dance in public um, perhaps I shouldn't be needed to give permission for those things but somehow I do um, I think there's a wonderful thing I think all the showstoppers embrace this of improvising a musical means you can get to play that part that you would never be cast to play <laughs> yes. Um, yes I'd like to be a jet hmm. I'd like to be a jet if that's alright most of us have <laughs> an idea of yeah, the parts the parts we'll never play yes. the parts they would never cast us as. <laughs> and uh, yeah improvising a musical can enable you to do that and uh, and it's a wonderful thing to watch to see somebody inhabiting a role that they would never be cast to play but having a hundred percent commitment to it and obviously loving every second of it and uh, um, yeah it's a wonderful thing to to, to to work with yes I particularly enjoyed playing the baddie in our um, showcase which was set 
in the uh, Great British Bake Off world. Oh, that was great. Yeah, the sort of the evil judge. Yeah, I was yeah. just running, just walking around, shouting at people, being horrible, which I do neither in my improvisation or in my real life, and yet somehow it was acceptable and, dare I say, entertaining. Yes, it's funny. A lot of improvisers, well, a lot, a lot of improvisers, most improvisers are very nice and helpful people. And, um, <laughs> there is. Don't uh, make that continue. Uh, <laughs> but it can sometimes mean that uh, you get a lot of very nice and helpful characters being yes. played. And, uh, uh, it's wonderful when people embrace the freedom, and again, in some ways, it's easier in a musical, perhaps, because there are very clear, well-established um, uh, musical theatre archetypes. Um, it, when people embrace that freedom to to be the villain, yes. you know, to be to be a high-status character, when yes. the, if they're not necessarily in real life, or to be a, like, like you say, to be a thoroughly unpleasant character, because that's actually can be very dramatically helpful. Yes. Uh, um, and yeah, it, it, it's wonderful when people when people just embrace embrace those characters and really enjoy enjoy playing. Yes, because you know the other people uh, who you're performing with and the audience, they know you're not really like that. Yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But there's something about when you when you when you really get into to, to doing a, a musical, so not just doing an improv show, but doing a musical, it, it creates very obvious need for those sort of characters. It sort of yeah, it can just become very obvious that. You know, you get to the next scene because we have no idea really what's going to happen in any particular scene. But they just get a point, get to a point where everybody just internally realizes we've got to meet the villain now. Uh, <laughs> we've got to meet the king. We've got to meet, or yeah, we've got to meet the love interest. You know, yes. it's very obvious, very, very often obvious which particular archetype we need to to meet, or you know, what sort of scene needs to happen needs to happen next or what kind of song we need at this point now that's the beauty it's the beauty of it when it really when it works well is you just you just know instinctively without having to plan or think think ahead do you just know what this moment needs you yeah know, what, what, what what need have we created uh you know for, for a, what kind of character what kind of song what kind of what kind of archetype or plot device uh yeah it, it's wonderful when it just naturally slots into place and how do you get better at instinctively knowing when you need a certain plot element is that just practice or is that it's just practice and obviously just being aware of how stories work um how musicals work obviously watching lots of musicals um i mean it, it certainly helps that a lot of the showstoppers are also writers as well so it's, it's they don't just improvise stories but they actually write them adam has written several Adam Guido has written several musicals. Uh, uh, many of our many of our members are also comic writers as well, um, playwrights as well. You know, uh, Pippa, Ruth, and Lucy are also quite well established comic writers. Um, yeah, I think sort of having a good sense of story uh, it just means that when, in in the moment you just instinctively know, so you don't have to think. <laughs> you don't have to think, oh, well, this has happened. What logically should happen next? It should just be obvious. Yes. Hopefully your instincts would carry you through and you just sense, oh, yeah, this feels like we're heading towards the, the midpoint, the, the false victory. Uh, it feels like we're heading towards the low point. And, or now, oh, now we're in the turnaround. Even without actually actively thinking those things, yeah. you should just really be able to, to feel it. So, if somebody was interested in improvising musicals, you suggest they should watch musicals. If you specifically want to improvise a musical, then obviously yes. Um, I mean, a musical is not just a show with some music in it. It is very, it's a very specific thing. It, 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 musicals use music in certain 
defined ways, like to to express emotions, to introduce characters, to introduce themes and new locations, to to move the story on in certain ways. So um, yes, if you want to improvise a musical, then in the same way, if you, if you were going to improvise Shakespeare several improvised Shakespeare shows, obviously you would start by reading lots of Shakespeare. So if you want to improvise a musical, I suggest watch a lot of musicals and be, try being in some as, uh, as well. Um, but yes, because there's a big difference, like I said, between a musical and a show that happens to have some music in it. Yes, yes. Um, so what three, what three beginner musicals for the, the, the musical beginner, what would you recommend? Oh, I I'm asking the tough um, questions tonight. <laughs> I I suppose I I would I would pick musicals from different eras uh, and from I mean because you can tell all sorts of stories um, through a musical. Um, so I would pick one from like say like an early romantic comedy musicals or light-hearted Cole Porter type thing so maybe something like Anything Goes that's a very classic early musical um, but a very textbook example of uh, a kind of relationship-based drama uh, so, so relationship-based so, comedy so so how's that what what's can you boil down what the style of that would be compared to kind of later uh, well those those musicals musicals of that era are often quite frivolous and they uh they followed a fairly strict pattern of of introducing generally a pair of couples. So you normally you normally saw a young couple at the start of their relationship and generally an older couple uh, uh, in an established in a well established relationship. And and the story is just generally the story of how those relationships change. Um, uh, so yeah, something like uh, Anything Goes or Kiss Me Kate are good examples of, uh, of that. Kiss Me Kate's uh, one of my favourite musicals, uh, but that shows, a, um, yeah, that shows a young couple at the start of their, start of their love. It is just set in a theatre, uh, and uh, yeah, a young couple at the start of their relationship and an old couple who are, who are actually divorced, so a divorced couple who, but who have been sort of forced to, for box office reasons, to work <laughs> together again. And it's, it's that classic story. Obviously, they're still in love and obviously they get back together by the end. Um, and there's a sort of very amusing sort of play within a play device where obviously their real relationship comes into their acting relationship and very standard stuff. But um, yeah. Uh, so, yes, I mean, that's one kind of musical. Then, of course, at the opposite end, you have something like Les Mis, which is a dark, epic story. Uh, that's essentially... Essentially a biopic of one, I mean, I'm sure most people know what it's about, um, but... Um, it's about a man who steals a loaf of bread, yeah, but it gets worse from that yeah. point on. Uh, <laughs> but, um, but what's interesting, I think, in understanding how musicals work, um, is that obviously most people think of the barricade and the revolution when they say Les Mis, and actually you have to remember that in that musical and most others, things like that are slightly incidental they're really just the backdrop and the real drama is the relationships and and the yeah the story of how how relationships change and how people change uh and that's uh, that's why Les Mis is such an effective musical because it just has very strong relationships within it you have this very weird relationship between because a relationship doesn't necessarily mean people being in love it can mean any family relationships and at the core of Les Mis you have this very weird twisted relationship essentially between a, a prisoner a former prisoner and his former jailer. 
who cannot quite get out of each other's lives and yeah. each other's heads. Um, which obviously culminates, as everybody knows, in one of those characters not being able to, to live anymore, uh, to live with himself anymore, uh, when he realises that his pursuit of the criminal has been, has been a mistake. Um, and that actually, oh, oh, I'm the bad guy. Oh, <laughs> um, But it's a fascinating relationship, and I think having that relationship uh, at the core of the musical is one reason why that uh, that musical works as well as it does and then obviously you do have a young couple in love and then you do have a father who can't quite let go of his daughter uh, yeah these very rich very complex relationships uh, and then obviously you have the drama of the barricade and the revolution and people dying as well but is uh, the the writers never lost sight of what is what is it really about and you know, it starts with Jean Valjean at once at uh, one stage of his life and then it ends with him at the end of his life and looking back on the changes he's undergone uh, and it's, yeah, it has never lost, it never loses sight of what, what it's really about. And so that, uh, yeah, it's such a cliche to say Les Mis is the greatest musical ever but I, for me it really is, it really right. is one, of the, one right. of the greatest. And I think for, for that reason, you have to, yeah, don't, don't get fixated on barricades and revolutions, remember what musicals are really supposed to be about. Yes. Uh, and then like, maybe a contra- another contrast again would be maybe like a really modern sort of relationship, again, relationship-based musical like something like Fun Home, which has recently closed on Broadway, is going to open here fairly soon. I don't know uh, about that. I saw it on Broadway last year and... Um, that was yeah something like that or next to normal or one of those very modern musicals because they are unashamedly just about relationships they have no revolutions they have no barricades they have uh, they have actually very little happening at all right um, but they just have some people in relationships and those relationships change next to normal is uh, is actually a therapy is is about a, a person in, in therapy struggling with her relationship with with relationships with her family um, and a fun home is the story of a man's relationship with his daughter and uh, uh, it's told from the daughter's perspective it's told the three it's actually the three uh, the, the, the daughter is played by three actresses uh, sort of young sort of very very young then a teenager and then an older one um, and, uh, and it's mostly about her relationship with her father who is a troubled man who ultimately committed suicide and you're told that right at the beginning so yeah. there's no spoiler there you're told right. that right at the, in the like essentially in the, fir- in the first minute of the musical it's just about how their relationship changes throughout uh, as the woman as the girl grows to be a woman goes away to college and uh, her father gradually deteriorates uh, and, and almost nothing happens right. it, it, is, it is just uh, it is just that, that that is just it. It is just about the evolution of relationships within uh, within a family, and um, so yeah, to really understand what musicals are, I, I would yeah would really, really recommend it. Right, cool, cool. Um, I went to see Wicked last night. Yeah, Wicked. I mean, Wicked is an amazing show. Um, and again, I'd say yeah. Again, people remember it for obviously the incredible yeah, epic numbers, and then obviously for the flying and. But, Again, uh, again, I think it. I think that works again because of the relation. You have strong relationships there, um, and not uh, like I said, not obvious ones as well. Yeah, the the, the relationship between Glinda, the lead. Um, no, not Glinda. Uh, I've gone blank. The the relationship between the the, the female lead and, and the wizard and her fixation with the wizard and her determination to 
make the wizard her mentor and to impress him and uh, and then her gradual disillusionment and realization that the the wizard is not what she thought yes um, yes uh, she's called something like Elsa Pet Elsa 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 yes but Yes, no, yeah, that, yeah, that was a, that was an interesting because I sort of I knew the songs because I'd had the soundtrack and then I saw it and thought, oh yeah, no, this makes a lot more sense in yeah. the context of it. And actually, there's a lot yeah. more going on than, than just the songs. So the songs are very important, obviously. Yeah. But I was like, oh right, okay. And when I found out what the story was, I enjoyed it yeah. even more. <laughs> but certainly, yes, if you're looking to improvise a musical, that, that that's I think that's what we discovered eventually in Showstopper after many years of experimenting with different approaches is um it's focusing on relationships and uh creating strong relationships and allowing relationships to change and allowing your story to essentially be to be the story of, of those changing relationships so that anything else that might be going on whether it's a war or a revolution or anything is uh is not not incidental i mean but is still crucial but it is own those things are only important in as in as much as they impact on the relationships. So, uh, again, going back to Les Mis and its revolution, its barricade, that is important to the story, but it's important in how it impacts on those people's relationships. It forces people together, forces people apart. Uh, uh, and, like I said, the writers never lost touch of what was, what, what was actually important. So a bit similarly to, say, like the war in South Pacific. South Pacific is obviously set in the... Second World War, um, but actually the war is again is just in the backdrop, and it is crucial because the war has obviously brought disparate stra- you know, uh, people from different backgrounds together, sort of all thrust them together in a slightly weird artificial situation, an army base in the middle of the Pacific, and then the war intrudes at various points to force those characters apart as people get called away, sent on missions, or whatever. But it's never about the war; it is only about those relationships. Yes. So that. Uh, uh, yes, I, I would say yes. If you want to improvise a musical, that that is what to, that is what to focus on is the, the, the relationships of the story and the emotional changes that people undergo are the story, and that's what generates great songs as yeah. well. Uh, if you get too fixated on story and on plot and on complicated things happening, yeah, that's when you that's when things tend to slow down and people get stressed and it's harder to sing because uh, people are focusing on this has happened to us in Showstopper many times and still happens to us today (laughs) but uh, you you can get too fixated on what is happening what should I do what's the story Uh, and then it's harder to feel anything and then it's harder to generate songs yes yes I can't remember who said it first but nobody comes away from an improv show going I'm really glad they fixed that bike it, exactly. Yes. Yeah. Fixing the fixing the problem is uh, well. Like I say, people people discussing what to do or discussing how to fix a problem is is, is not entertaining. And if you, if you look at um, uh, you know if you look at great scripted drama, actually there's very little discussion in it. People just generally do things. Yeah. They just generally do stuff rather, and the the discussion is assumed to have taken place elsewhere. Yeah. Um, you know, you don't watch a great heist movie and you, you don't see people sitting around trying to figure out what to do and you, know, you see them do the heist and you discover what they're doing while they're doing it. And uh, really, yeah, improvise, good improvised drama is 
it's really the same. You discover what's happening while while it's happening, rather than figuring it out in in, in advance. But like I said, if the, if the relationships are strong, if the emotions are strong, uh, and if there's enough willingness to change, then really the, the story will just just happen. It becomes going back to what I said before about things becoming obvious. If you invest in a strong emotion, if you undergo an emotional change, or if you allow your relationship with your scene partner to change, it becomes really obvious what to do, and you find you you find you do the obvious thing without even thinking about it or without discussing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're also accompanying the Glenda J Collective? Yes, yes. What's uh, that like? They're amazing. Well, it's, um, it's, so it's uh, two of the showstopper ladies, um, two of the founder members of showstopper, Ruth Bratt and Pippa Evans, um, uh, Carrie Ad Lloyd, uh, legendary improviser, part of the um, uh, ostentatious team, um, and uh, and Josie Lawrence, obviously as, uh, <laughs> as well. And uh, yes, it's, uh, it's it's an all female improv group that I have slightly <laughs> weirdly ended up playing for. Um, and uh, yeah, I think I I think it was originally imagined they would have a female pianist, but I think I. I think I played for a gig when they couldn't get anybody else and it just seemed to click. And, uh, uh, and obviously Pepper and Ruth I've, I've worked with obviously for, for, for years anyway. Um, so it, we seem to be quite comfortable working together. So, uh, yeah. Um, but, uh, yes, that's an amazing, that's an amazing show. So what are the challenges or uh, opportunities? I mean, how is it different from doing a showstopper when you're accompanying a showstopper? Well, it's not a musical as such. It's a, it's very much a free for all show. So um, the the um, the ladies get a um, just get a, a series of words. They all get one word each from the audience at the beginning. Um, you know, the particular conceit is they they ask for uh, in the opening number they ask for their code name. So each each. Um, each performer asks for the audience what their code name is, and it could just be any random word. It could be potato. It could be universe. It could be. It could be anything. So I imagine it's so potato they, fairly regularly. Uh, potato is a fairly regular. Not one, as yes. as often yeah. as um, no potato. No, I was just thinking uh, fruit and vegetables seem to be reasonably common suggestion. Cheese yeah. is probably the most Jeez. common suggestion. Not, yeah. not not in Glenda J, but it's, it's, <laughs> across my improv experience, so if you ask somebody what's a show, what's a song about, or uh, what's this <laughs> show about, uh, cheese is probably the most the most. Because I have suggestion. just been entertained by you yeah. saying cheese, so yeah. I, I can I can see why people think you know think oh, well, it's probably not impossible to do, but there's going to be some fun to be had yeah. there. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so in the show. Um, in the Glenda J show, they then take those code words and they just allow those four words to inspire songs and sketches for for an hour, and uh, with no particular format, with nothing nothing set. It's not. I won't know going into a scene whether that scene's going to lead into a song or not. It it might do. It might not. Uh, it, uh, it's it's amazing the versatility those those those, those women have. Um, uh, because uh, you know, a, a scene might be deadly serious. It might be quite dark and twisted. It might be incredibly frivolous. Uh, it might have no words in it at all. They've done some scenes where they've just sort of made noises <laughs> at, each, at each other, and uh, so, yeah, some songs go into some, sorry, some scenes go into some quite amazing songs or physical routines. And but uh, yeah, there's a, there's a wonderful freedom to it. You, it just it just goes where it goes. Um, but. Uh, and we do do one sort of particularly 
particular musical game in it where uh, uh, the, the, there's a, a radio station and uh, we ask the audience to say, oh yeah, we're going to play that song, or what was it called? Oh yeah, what was it? In what style was it? And we'll, we'll do a few of uh, a few of those. But, yeah. uh, uh, but for the rest, it, it could just it could just go anywhere. Wow, cool, cool. Right now, I don't do a lot of research. Uh, when I'm doing this podcast, but I did, um, I did uh, do a bit of research for you. And when at university, you were involved with the Gilbert and Sullivan Society. Is this correct? Yes. What was the appeal of Gilbert and Sullivan to you? You see, I mean, I'm not judging you. That seems an old <laughs> society. Maybe that was the most relevant society to your biography um... <laughs> on the Showstoppers website. <laughs> Uh, Gilbert Sullivan, it's just very fun to be in. Uh, some, it's sometimes been said it's more fun to be in than watch. Uh, I, I wouldn't entirely agree if it's done really well, but um, it, 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 it's very fun to be in. It's always why it's so popular with amateur societies. Uh, I, I had no particular idea then of going of doing this for a, for a living or, or going into musical theatre. Um, Gilbert Sullivan is just, like I said, it's just fun. It just, it's really fun. Um, and... Uh, it's got a lot for a chorus to do because uh, I'm not much of a singer, so uh, I, I never got cast in the lead roles. But uh, it's it's very fun just to be in the chorus, you know, to be a, a pirate in Pirates of Penzance or be one of the owner of the guard or uh, you know a sailor in HMS Pinafore. Um, yeah, it, it's it's just it's just very fun and it is very clever. It's, it, it's wonderful and wonderful music as as, as well, um, but very hard to improvise. It, it, it is. I mean, obviously, yeah, we have that particular conceit in Showstopper that we ask them, the audience to reference musicals or composers and then we'll do our best to do stuff in the style of those composers, those musicals. And uh, Gilbert Sullivan is possibly one of the most challenging <laughs> simply because it actually runs counter to, uh, to what I said before. Was a lot of great songwriting is fundamentally simplistic. Gilbert, obviously, <laughs> Gilbert Sullivan is... Gilbert's, lyri Gilbert's lyrics are legendarily complex and wordy and have... Yeah, challenging rhyme structures and, uh, and, and all that sort of thing so it's a particularly hard form to improvise in and obviously the the stuff that people like best uh, is obviously like the, the fast patter songs which again it just means uh, it is the generally like I said we encourage people to use as few words as possible when improvising songs and to prioritise Priorities making sense uh, or emotional truth over wordplay, but uh, in improvising Gilbert and Sullivan, you have to slightly turn that on his head. Actually, the clever wordplay is all people want, and they don't particularly care whether it, <laughs> they don't really care about the emotional truth of it. Yes, I uh, I particularly uh, enjoyed uh, failing at uh, Gilbert and Sullivan in one of your workshops, where I was like, "Yeah, I'm glad I've tried that. I hope I never have to do that ever again." <laughs> again. Because fast and witty wordplay is not, it's not my business. <laughs> and for most of the time, that's not a problem when it comes to improvising. It's uh, well, it just takes practice. I yeah. mean, we, uh, it was. I, I remember it was the very first genre we worked on. In, really, in, in after I joined Showstopper, just uh, I think particularly, I hadn't particularly set out to. Uh, to coach them, essentially, uh, I was only thought, really. Oh, we've looked um, at his CV. He's got experience at university. I think, <laughs> it, I think it was more that they, even when I joined, so I wasn't there at the beginning. When I joined, there was already this idea of uh, that we would uh, do songs in the style of um, uh, uh, yeah, the, whatever the audience suggested, and Gilbert Sullivan was something that came up a lot. And uh, just because I knew it fairly well, and um, 
I suggested we just sort of have a session where we look at Gilbert Sullivan and distill it down to its main ingredients and sort of really work on how do we how do we improvise how do you improvise something that, that could credibly sound like Gilbert Sullivan uh, um, and that was just an obvious one to start with because because I knew it so well but um, uh, and that was such a such a fun process to, to be involved in that. Uh, that's one of the things that really intrigued me about the whole showstopper project and really drew me into it um so we went from Gilbert and Sullivan to looking at Sondheim to looking at Rodgers and Hammerstein to looking at Andrew Lloyd Webber you know, and, uh, and we've never stopped since you know it's just uh, that constant sort of attempt that constant process of delving into particular styles and working out what their crucial ingredients are and how do you how do you improvise something that, will, yeah. that the, the, the audience will recognise because it's not just yeah. you can't just do it to your own satisfaction you've got to be able to do it to the point where the audience will go oh yeah that sounds like so you have to think about you know, not only analyse it academically um, but also just think okay, what are the most what will the audience recognise uh, what, what will make the audience sit up and go oh. and you can tell very quickly whether you've got that there are certain sort of sounds, yeah. certain reactions the audience have that make it very clear that they recognise, see what you're doing and, they, uh, and they've acknowledged that you've got it and just sometimes if you don't get that then you have to go back and say, okay, why didn't that land? Why, wow. did, why didn't the audience recognise that as yeah. being like Gilbert Sullivan, Andrew Lloyd Webber or, or, or whatever? Um, I mean, it's something like, okay, okay if, if the genre was particularly obscure then... Maybe they just do. Uh, you sometimes get that. Oh yeah, of course. I mean, and people deliberately give us obscure <laughs> suggestions sometimes just to try and catch us out. Uh, do but they? in some ways, oh uh, yes. I mean, because in the end, it's, uh, yeah, if, if a musical was, uh, if a musical only ran for one week on Broadway in 1972, it's probably unlikely we'll uh, we'll have heard of it. But uh, but then the problem is, the only person who does know what it sounds like is the person who suggested it. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and certainly in the early days, we got caught out all the time. Uh, so it's been a very slow process of just hope, hopefully building up our knowledge, building up our knowledge, hopefully, to the point where we can't get caught out. At least we can't get caught out by anything that the majority of the audience would be yeah. familiar with. Yeah. Uh, there are plenty of embarrassing moments in the early, in the <laughs> early years. I, uh, I completely failed to recognise the name Judy Stein once, which is incredibly embarrassing, um, in one of my early showstoppers. Uh, and, of course, he's actually major. American musical theatre composer, uh, wrote Funny Girl, most, most famously. And actually, I did know a lot of his material. Um, obviously, uh, Funny Girl, Don't Rain in My Parade, obviously, I, I, I knew that sort of thing. But um, uh, but actually just failed to recognise the name and had no idea what this person was talking about. So that, that was, uh, and when I realised afterwards, that was, uh, that was mortifying. But, uh, um, but, um, but yeah, it's a fascinating process, but it never quite... Obviously, it never ends because there are always new composers emerging, new musicals coming out, so we can, yeah, we're always having to work hard to stay, stay on top of the material. Yeah, stay ahead, stay ahead. Yes, um, you've been practicing. I suppose you've been practicing Hamilton for a while now. I'm just thinking, that, is there going to be an increase in Hamilton suggestions when it comes to London? Actually, it couldn't increase since, <laughs> since Hamilton became as famous as it has in the, in the last sort of year and a half uh, actually it's 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 a suggestion in pretty much every show we do really so, uh, uh, actually yes you, you think yes unless we end up unless we have to do it twice in a show um, it couldn't actually be any more common than it is but then Hamilton is it's, it's very rich I mean uh, if you don't know it people listening it's a, it's a hip-hop musical um, set uh, about the um, about the American Revolution and one of the uh, one of the founding fathers Alexander Hamilton um, and uh, yeah, it's an incredibly imaginative 
and clever score um, and uh, it's one we have no problem but exploring over and over again you know, you, you, there's always sort of different different approaches to take different ideas you can use it's uh, yeah I mean with some I say with some musicals some composers there's really only one thing you can do that people are going to find again like I said it comes back to being recognisable yeah. um, uh, and sometimes really there's kind of only one thing to do one gag to to play, uh, you know, uh, that, that is basically reckon, that, that is going to be recognisable for that composer or that musical. But but somebody like a really imaginative and inventive and original composer like Lin Manuel Miranda, um, oh, there's, there's, there's there's always something new to do. There's there's, there's always yeah, there's always infinite possibilities. It's a bit like working with Sondheim or uh, somebody like that. Okay, so uh, last big question. Last big question. Um, what would you like the future to hold for you in an improv sense or a performing sense? Um, Are there things you'd like to do more of? Um, I'd always like to do more showstopper. Um, it's, uh, I mean, but hopefully, I think we're, we're all very hopeful that we can build showstopper to the point where it is uh, our major source of work. Uh, Essentially, a, a full. Or we can do. Or we can do as much of it as as we want because we all do other job, other projects, and we all enjoy our, our other work. But um, we're so is still very much growing, and um, still. And uh, I think it's going to be for most of us our top priority for for, for the near future. And um, um, yeah, I'd like to do more. I'd like to teach more. I've, I've only recently started teaching improv, and um, I would like to. Yeah, I think. I've, there's a lot more to discover there, a lot more to explore. Um, so uh, yes, certainly want to do a lot, a lot more of that, and uh, and um, and to actually write musicals as well. So there's actually a couple of musicals I've been working on in the last few years, um, actual yeah, actual scripted musicals. Um, so I'd like to see some of them mature and get on stage. Um, uh, yeah, just keep exploring the twin worlds of improv and, and musical theatre. I made this. That's improv! <laughs>